0: hearts in the uh, awareness that we have towards those that are lost. And uh, then Paul uh, kind of changes gears a little bit and talks about the idea that since we do not know when the Lord's coming is, uh, he tells us some things about how we ought to live uh, while we're waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at those things uh, this afternoon, and Lord willing, we went through all of them. Um, I don't know about you, but I like when the Bible just gives you a list of things, don't you? I'm I'm one of those uh, punch list kind of fellas as far as organizational things. And um, I'm all for digging in Scripture and finding things there. But there are sometimes in Scripture where you don't have to wonder what the Lord was talking about uh, too much. He pretty well just puts it on the bottom shelf and makes it accessible for everybody. And uh, so Paul does that here in the middle and last part of chapter number 5, if you will, let's begin reading in verse number 12. Um, let's back up to verse number 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their works' sake, and be at peace among yourselves." Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Father, we come to you this afternoon pray that you'll bless the next few moments and may you uh, help to guide and direct our thoughts for the next few moments that we can lay aside the things that weigh heavy upon us. And Lord, there certainly are burdens in this room today. There are certainly things that can become very distracting to us. And I pray that for the next few moments you would help us to lay those aside and allow your Holy Spirit to do His work that we would look into Your perfect law of liberty, to Your Word, and find things that will instruct us in righteousness, that will help us to be more of what we ought to be. And Lord, I pray that You would bless the time that we spend here together. May it be profitable being mixed with faith and making it effective in our hearts in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As, as Paul gets to the end of this letter to the church at Thessalonica, uh, he gives them some things. He, he's laid a foundation. And Paul, uh, I, I'm always impressed with the way Paul writes because he is a master at laying a foundation and then drawing a conclusion that is ironclad. Uh, he has so well laid out the case that by the time the conclusion comes, uh, there's no refuting it. There's no coming back and saying, well, Paul, that's not true in every case. He's a master of this, and of course, I'm sure that the Holy Spirit enabled him, and as uh, the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, I don't believe there's any accident that God uses Paul to express things this way. In the first part of chapter number 5, he brings up the idea, uh, in the latter part of chapter number 4, the idea that we don't know when the Lord's going to return. Uh, We do know this, He is going to return. And that's all we know. Uh, we don't know when. The Bible says, even in the first part of chapter number 5, "...but at the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord still cometh as a thief in the night." We don't have an idea of when the Lord's going to come back. Only He has that timetable in His mind. But one thing Paul does know is there were several things that needed to be addressed in the church. And one of them was that we sleep not as others, that we be awake and aware to some things and that we'd be busy doing the work that God has called us to do. And that deals with our service, our, our things that we do for the Lord. But then there are some things that he goes on to tell us in verse number 12 and following that I believe you and I are to work on on a personal level that ought to exemplify, ought to characterize each of us in the way that we are to live, the example that we are to be. Uh, we've talked in the weeks recently about the fruit of the Spirit and how uh, there ought to be things in the inner man that just happen to come out on the outside and allow us to uh, uh, have fruit that is produced by the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Now we get to some things that Paul deals with here, and I believe these are external things that we ought labor for and work on. As we find in verse number 12, uh, or back at verse number 11, he starts off by saying this, "...wherefore, comfort yourselves together." Uh, the part of what we did this morning in the service, as we were talking about the things of heaven, I don't know about you all, but uh, when you get up to preach, and Brother Dan probably knows this sometimes, uh, you get to preach and you, you look out at the people and you think, boy, are they even here today? You know, their, their faces have that look, you know, <laughs> and uh, they, they just all kind of, everybody in a frown, you know. and uh, But we got talking about heaven today. And some people smiled and some people started crying and some people uh, started uh, perking up and amen in a little bit. And there was a stirring in the hearts because we were, we were comforted by the Word of God one to another, by sharing it one with another. And, and I believe that this ought to characterize a Christian. This ought to be something that we don't do once in a while. This is something that we ought to do all the time. Um, back in the early days of the church, Uh, shortly after Christ uh, had ascended back to heaven, there was a standard greeting that the church would use when they would greet one another. One of them would walk up to another Christian that they knew was a believer, and they would say, He is risen. And the other would reply, He is risen indeed. And it was a greeting of joy, of comfort, that uh, this is the hope that we have. We don't have a dead Savior. We have a risen Savior who's conquered death He's conquered sin. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us a home in heaven. And Paul says that this ought to be something that characterizes us as we're waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we comfort one another with these things. Uh, I I don't think it ought to be just Brother Greg that gets up every once in a while and gets excited and acts like an idiot sometimes (laughs) about how good God is and how excited we are about His coming. As Christians, we ought all be excited about that. I think it would be wonderful if we could pick up that early church greeting again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, but uh, whatever it is that God does uh, in our hearts, we ought to be willing to comfort one another with it and to share one, with one another in it. And so he's, he deals with that, that we're to comfort together. Then he says this in verse number 11, that we are to edify one another. Uh, the word edify means to build up. You know, it's my responsibility, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian, it's my responsibility to try to help you grow in the, in the Christian life. Can I tell you this? It's your responsibility to help each other, and watch this, and to help me grow in my life, spiritually. We are to edify one another. And so this is something that is to be marks of a Christian. Uh, when somebody looked at the early church... These were things that they could identify that was a different thing about them that they could look at and say, this is something that makes up a Christian. And uh, now, I will say this, we don't do these things to become spiritual. We do these things because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and produces it in us. But these are things that ought to be characterized, uh, characterizing us while we wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and, esteem, uh, that, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Uh, two other things. People that are spiritual leaders, maybe a Sunday school teacher, um, a youth pastor, a pastor, a missionary, uh, that we are to, to look after them and to esteem them uh, because of the, the role that they're playing And can I tell you this, that while Satan has a mark on every Christian to destroy their life, I believe that there is an extra effort many times that Satan puts on the marks of his servants that are serving the Lord. And if anything can be done to destroy them and their families and their testimonies, Satan is going to do it. And for that reason, we need to esteem them in love. Uh, There's not anything a person in this church can do any better for me than to send me a note or to tell me, Brother Greg, I'm praying for you. I think Brother Dan would agree with that. There's nothing greater someone can do than to offer that word of encouragement to somebody that's leading in a position of spiritual leadership. The greatest thing would be to know that there are a group of people who know how to get a hold of heaven that are praying free for me. And Paul says this, this ought to be something that characterizes a Christian, that we esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And I'm thankful. Boy, I have been so, in the last few years of ministry, I've been so blessed to have an amazing group of people that encourage me. It's not always been the case in ministry. Nor is it always the case in ministry. And I thank God that God has given us in these last few years such great encouragement from God's people. I get notes and texts and, and little things. People walk up, uh, pastors, is there anything I can do for you? Can, can I be praying for you? What, what is there a burden on your heart? You all don't know how much that means, to know that people are praying. And then he says this in verse number 13, and to be at peace among yourselves. Uh, I understand we're human. And there are times we're going to get at odds and we're going to have some problems. We're going to disagree on some things or we're going to uh, have some arguments about things. But can I tell you this? They ought never last very long. There ought to be a peace that comes. The other day, uh, Jonathan and I went to uh, Cracker Barrel. And he, being a 12-year-old boy, said, Dad, let's play a game of checkers. So we played a game of checkers. And being a dad, he's 12 years old, I'm just kind of... Biding my time and flipping some checkers around, letting him have a few jumps here and there, and so after about fifteen minutes of him trying as hard as he could—I mean, his smoke's coming out of his head—he beats me. And I was I, so we're laughing and cutting up about it and enjoying it. For the next week, he he lets me know that all every day, Dad, I beat you in checkers. So we went to uh, Cracker Barrel again. And uh, about a week later, he said, let's play checkers. I said, Jonathan, after the way you've been talking lately, you don't want Dad playing checkers with you because I'll put a wampin' on you. And he's like, oh, no, you won't. No, you won't. You know, he's going to town on this. And I said, I will. I promise you. I said, you really don't want to go there. He said, oh, no, no, I'm, I, we're ready. So we played another game of checkers. I made one jump and won the game. <laughs> Didn't I, Jonathan? One jump. And now his argument is, you didn't win the game. He couldn't make any more legal moves, so I won the game. And I'm sitting here, so for a week, we're going on and on about this. Yesterday, I called the only checker expert that I know, my mother, because we used to have checker tournaments in our home years ago. I said, Mom, I have a hypothetical situation. I said, "Uh, we've got a situation going on here, Jonathan and I. And uh, here's the case. And I laid the case out before. I said, who won the game? And she said, well, you did, of course. And I said, Mom, you don't realize, but you're going to be so blessed because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. she was able to solve the problem. And I use that as a silly illustration, and we laugh and joke about it, but I don't want you to miss the point for the humor in the illustration. We're to be living peaceably. There are times that, that, yes, there will be disagreement. There will be at odds. But it ought not last long before we reconcile that and get it right one with the other. Jonathan's still a little bitter, so he's working on his side of it. Uh, but, you know, there, there is. There ought to be a, a peacemaking among, among God's people. Uh, we are human. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, we will hurt people sometimes. And we've got to be willing to forgive. All right, moving on, number 14, verse number 14. Now, uh, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. This is a responsibility of Christians. That when you have folks that are unruly in the church, in a spirit of humility, because we, again, believe Scripture agrees with Scripture, and you always use Scripture to interpret Scripture, And we compare it with other scriptures that deal with the topic of a brother being overtaken in a fault or a weaker brother. How are we to treat them? And so we find other places of scripture that speak of the fact that we're to do it after a season of prayer. We're to do it with a spirit of humility lest we also fall. And we are to come to them and we are to to try to help them in the area that there's a weakness there. Hoping and praying that if they find a weakness in us, they will do the same for us. And we need to take it with the spirit of meekness, not with the spirit of offense. Now, notice it says here in verse number 14, Warn them that are unruly. He says this, Comfort the feeble-minded. These are for all the teenagers that are out there. (laughs) The feeble-minded. feeble-minded would be people that have not grown much spiritually yet. They're still babes in Christ. And we're to comfort them. We're to come alongside them. Uh, We have to be careful... Uh, if we are on you know, maybe semi-solid food spiritually or maybe we're all the way to meat-of-the-word type Christianity in our life and, and, and we understand some principles of Scripture, we have to be careful that we don't outrun the weaker brother and make them feel bad and look down at them or cause them to feel ashamed at what they are. They are a brother. And we used to be where they are. And somebody helped us. Somebody came along and comforted us. Uh, That doesn't mean we condone them and keep them where they're at. We come along, put our arm around them in a a spirit of love, and help them as they grow. And there ought to be a growth there. And so again, comforting the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Undergird them. Help them along the way. Be patient toward... What are the next two words here? Wow, that's a tough one. God had to put that one in there, didn't He? Toward all men. That means even the unsaved I have to be patient toward. I don't have to agree with what they do, but I have to be patient with them. We're to be patient with all men. Why? Because patience ought to characterize a Christian. You know, the Bible says in the book of James that the trying of our faith worketh what? As our faith grows, our patience grows. You want to find somebody that has little faith. You find somebody that has little patience. You say, I don't know about that. We'll take it up with God. He's the one that talked about the trying of our faith, working patience. He's the one that deals with that topic. How much patience do we have? This ought to characterize a Christian in these days. While we're waiting, as the world, this is the testimony the world ought to see in us. Verse number fifteen: See that none render evil for evil, unto what?" Any man. Don't render evil for evil. Somebody does you wrong, you're not supposed to strike back. Try to treat them evil in in the same way. We're not to render evil for evil to any man. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves, speaking of the believers at the church, and to all men. You know where to be good even to sinners? even to lost people, even to people that we look at and say, man, are they wicked people. You know we're still to do good to them? That's what the Bible says. Verse number 16, Rejoice evermore. Boy, this is a tough one, isn't it, for some people. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's amazing how many Christians have lost the ability to rejoice evermore. There is always something we have to be happy about, isn't there? There's always something that we have to rejoice in. If nothing else, rejoice that our sins are forgiven. They're parted as far as the east is from the west. They are reconciled under the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're hid under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And according to God, I am clean. Oh, yes, I'm clean. And I have something to rejoice in. Rejoice evermore, number 17. Pray without ceasing. Oh, that we would become people of prayer. That it would be noted of God's people. This is the way we're to be living while we're waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is admonishing the church here. He's saying these are things that ought to be present in your life. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. Don't don't ever stop. Be known as people of prayer in everything. Verse number 18. In everything. Wait a minute. Let me back up. In what? Everything. Did I say in everything yet? You know, they say repetition is the key to learning. Did you all know that? Repetition is the key to learning. Did you know repetition is the key to learning? (laughs) In everything, what does it say? In everything, what? Give thanks. That's a hard one, isn't it? But you know, that ought to characterize a Christian. It's amazing. I was uh, sometimes... uh, I'll pray with somebody in a situation that's a very serious situation, sometimes a health issue. It's hard to give thanks in that time, isn't it? Sometimes they're going through a family issue or a decision that they're trying to make, and there's no real good choice. It's hard to give thanks sometimes, isn't it? But yet, what ought to characterize a Christian is someone who gives thanks in everything who is thankful for everything, realizing that God has brought it into their life for His glory and for our good. It's hard to see sometimes, and so we just have to trust Him. We just have to believe that that's the case. It makes it easier to be able to thank Him in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Verse number 19. Quench not the Spirit, Uh, I'm getting hard of hearing in one ear. I've lost about uh, probably at least half of the hearing in my right ear. And that's a good thing when you have kids and you're driving down the road, especially when it's your right ear. Uh, But the thing is, there are times that uh, I'll be listening to something, and because background noise affects my understanding of it, I can't hear certain things. And there are times that I have to take and I have to stop all the external distractions so I can focus on what I'm trying to hear. Can I tell you this? That there are times in our lives when we ought to be tuned in to the sensitivity and our hearts ought to be yielded to the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit's leading. But we have too many externals that are interfering, that are quenching His work in our life. They're causing us not to be able to focus in and to hear Him, that still, small voice, that prodding, that leading. And there are times that we need to, in our lives, take the minute to stop. And say, okay, these externals, I need to put them out of my way. Get these off. Turn that down. Let me listen to what the Holy Spirit has for me. Let me be sensitive to that. We live in a world that I'll tell you right now bombards our senses every moment that we're awake. You can't drive down the road without seeing billboards. I, when I drive down the road, uh, there are times, especially if I'm on a trip, I just like it to be quiet in the car. If I have my kids with me, they, get, they, they do that for about two or three minutes and they have to turn the, the radio on. It doesn't matter what's on there, they just have to have noise. Uh, my son turns a fan on in his room because he has to have noise. When I get up to preach, I have to have the fans on because I have to have noise there. But you know, there's something about that that soft quietness, isn't there? When we take the distractions and we push them to the side and we ask the Lord, Lord, would you guide me? I don't want this to influence me. I don't want that to influence me. I want you to... To direct my path. Quench not the Spirit, Paul says. This ought to characterize a Christian that we are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts and in our lives. Number, uh, whatever else we're on, number 20, or verse number 20. Despise not prophesying. We don't have prophecies today, and that we have the full revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we do have people who still proclaim, like the prophets proclaimed, the Word of the Lord. And I think we can hold that principle to be true in verse number 20, that we ought not to despise those that proclaim the Word of the Lord. Uh, We ought to be proclaiming things that have already been revealed to us, though, and those are the things of Scripture. And we don't have any new prophecies, amen, no more words of knowledge. Uh, But when the Word of God is able to be preached, we ought not to be despising it. We find that in today's age. People have have, uh, substituted the word I've been offended for what we used to call being convicted. (laughs) Saying, boy, I was convicted by that. Now we just say I was offended by that. Don't, Don't be offended by it. Don't despise it. The Word that God gives to us. Verse number 21. Prove all things. Hold God to the test. If He said it, then believe it. Trust it. Rest upon it. Hold fast that which is good. Uh, Well, we live in the day where not too many people know what it is to hold fast anymore, do they? We We are swayed by every wind of doctrine that comes our way. These are things that ought to characterize the Christian life. This is a tough one, verse number 22. Abstain from all evil. Is that what your Bible says? What does it say? Abstain from all what? Appearance of evil. What if it's not really wrong? What if it's not really evil? If it looks evil, we stay away from it. Why do we do that? For testimony's sake. This is what characterizes a Christian. Verse number 23, In "...the very God of peace sanctify you..." Notice this. "...holy." The word sanctify means to be set apart. Um, how many of you husbands... Uh, your wife has a china set, uh, the good china that only comes out when company comes. You all know what I'm talking about? Any of you have that one person in it? Really? Man, you guys need to get busy. Next anniversary, you better buy her a fine china set. I, when I was growing up in my house and then after I was married, there were certain dishes that I didn't get to use. Only, only people that were special people. You know, not the person that the wife decided to spend the rest of her life with that she loved. But the special, the people that had real weight, you know, they, they really had the, the importance. They got to use those. You know what dishes I got to use? You know, the paper, the styrofoam ones that don't even hold the, you know, the, the food falls on the floor because it breaks. But the special dishes. And, and you know what? When, when I got married, uh, my wife had a certain pattern. These ladies, they, they have patterns on their, their, their china. And she, she put it in this registry, and people started buying this, this pattern of false craft uh, 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 dishes. And, uh, you know, after we were married for a couple of years, and we built a house and had room to do it, we went to the furniture store one day, and we were buying some living room furniture, and we needed a dining room table. And so we went and bought living room furniture and a dining room table. And she looks over, and she sees this hutch. And, you know, we spent uh, over $1,000 dollars on a hutch, to hold the special dishes. I mean, there was a $100 cabinet on the wall that held all the rest of them. But these dishes, no, 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 had to have mahogany wood, glass doors, light shining down and shimmering. There had to be the halo that glowed up. I think there was fog machines inside and laser light shows. I mean, this stuff had to be... It was sanctified. It was set apart For a particular use. And and I want to help you with something. When we are sanctified, we are sanctified two ways. We are sanctified by departing from some things in our life and toward the Lord Jesus Christ. We are set apart. The Bible refers to it this way as vessels that are meat, M-E-E-T, the old English word for suitable, for the Master's use. When the Master has use of it, we're, we're there and we have been sanctified, set apart. It is not for anyone else's use, but His. There were a few times that my wife would be gone on a trip overnight or something, and I would be out of dishes. You know how men are. They're piled in the sink. Don't dare wash them. And I would go to the cabin. A couple of times this happened. And it did not work out very well for me. And I would pull one of those special ones. Why? Because it wasn't for me. It was for a particular person or a particular uh, uh, event. Can I tell you this? Our lives need to be sanctified in such a way that they are not for one thing. They are only for the Lord Jesus Christ. They are sanctified for Him. Notice the Bible says this in verse number 23. And the God of peace sanctify you. Notice this. Don't miss it. Holy. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. One of the great problems that we battle, that we face in every one of our lives, is we do have a a spirit that's willing that loves the Lord. We do have a desire to be sanctified to Him. But sadly, the old flesh nature likes to keep one foot in the world. It likes to keep one foot in the old flesh nature. It likes to keep a few things that we used to enjoy, and don't ask me to give those up. I've heard people say, Well, Brother Greg, God knows my heart. And He does. But when we do that to excuse us keeping things and holding things that we know displease Him in our lives, we are sanctified, but we are not sanctified wholly unto Him. Paul says what characterizes a Christian is one who is sanctified wholly unto God. Notice in verse number, oh, and I want you to notice this about the sanctification, I almost forgot to mention it. Notice in verse 23, it says this, "...and the God of peace sanctify you whole." It's one thing for us to make up our minds to be sanctified, but can I tell you this? We're not strong enough to do it ourselves. In fact, in just a moment, he's going to say in verse number 24, "...faithful is He that calleth you who also will..." "...what?" "...do it." He's not only going to call us to sanctification, he's going to produce it in our lives. He's going to give us that ability... Because the truth is, of ourselves, we're not able. We don't have the strength. Paul said, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that was Paul. Paul was the one, this great Christian, the one that wrote Scripture. Paul was the one who said, The things that I know I ought to do, those are the things I don't do. And the things I know I'm not supposed to do, he said, Those are the things I find myself doing. Why? Because he wasn't strong enough himself. God had to help him. And then he says, And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is there ever a point this side of heaven that you and I are going to live perfect? But should we strive to? Yes. Yes. While we will never achieve it and never accomplish it, it gives us no reason not to strive for it. Years ago, I uh, coached basketball. And uh, I, was a, I was a Bobby Knight kind of coach. I know that's hard for some of you to believe, but literally, I mean, I'd get red in the face, sweat would pour off my face, veins would pop out. Years later, I had a, a, a good deacon of our church come and me aside and say really Greg that's not a good testimony and God uh, worked on my heart about that and now I coach very calm if I ever coach I don't move a lot I don't talk a lot I deal with that in practice At the time of the game I'm very soft-spoken and um, but uh, when I used to coach there was a game that I was playing and uh, that our, my team was playing and we were winning Uh pretty handily. It was getting down to the last minute and a half, two minutes of the fourth quarter. And I can't remember exactly how much we were up by, but I would think it was probably around 10 or 12 points. With two minutes or so left in the game, probably just under two minutes left in the game, there was still time enough. It was it was probably unlikely, but there was still time enough that if the other team worked really hard and my team made a few mistakes, they could have pulled the game out. Their best player, the guy that was on their team that was the ball handler, he was the shooter, he was the guy that was the best player on the team, his name was Danny, Uh, came down the court. And with just under under two minutes left to play, he attempted a three-point shot. It went up and it bounced off of the rim. And when it bounced off the rim, my team got the rebound. And I'll never forget what happened the rest of my life. Danny Softman turned around, walked off the court, and sat down on his bench while the game was still going on. I thought, Lord, I want to be perfect, but I know I'll never make it. But I don't ever want to walk to the spiritual bench and sit down and give up. I want to press. I want to push for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I don't want to ever give up. Just because we know we'll never be perfect does not mean we don't strive for it. And Paul admonishes them in verse number 23. He says, I pray, God. This is something Paul said, I pray for. He says, I pray, God, Your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. Then He says this in verse number 25. Brethren, pray for us. Number 26. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. When I was a teenager, I used to try to quote that to my dad. He didn't take it very well because there were some teenage girls in the church he didn't want me doing that with. It doesn't mean we're going to give them some kind of a a uh, romantic kiss. This is dealing with the the kindness, the hospitality of the greedy. How warm and, and how much of a family it is. When I, I don't get to see my brother and my older sister very often. But when I do, I hug their necks. It doesn't mean that I'm hanging all over them all the time that we're together. But I embrace them upon the greedy because I love them. There's a warmth there. There's a greeting there. We need to be that way with all the brethren. Notice in verse number 27, he says, I charge you by the Lord, this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Paul himself says, so be it. I agree. This is what ought to characterize our lives. We've started in chapter 4. The Lord's coming. He's coming soon, I believe, but we really don't know. Until then, I need to be sober. I need to be watchful. I need to be awake. And then I need to live in such a way that I exemplify the testimony of a Christian. And Paul gives that admonishment to the church. I'm thankful when he gives us just point blank, black and white, we don't have to scratch our heads and wonder what he meant. Aren't you? These are things that ought to characterize our life. Let's be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. And Lord, we don't often give invitations in the afternoon service because of the type that it is. But Father, I believe with the messages today that perhaps we'll offer uh, an invitation this afternoon for people to respond to the teaching of Your Word. And if You've spoken to our hearts, perhaps there would be uh, some that would need to come to the altar and make some decisions for You. Or that maybe we would commit ourselves and sanctify ourselves wholly. Maybe there's been a time that we've sanctified, but we keep some things back. Maybe there have just been one or more of these things we've talked about today. Perhaps just quenching the Spirit is an issue in our lives. Whatever the case is, I pray that You would help us to get it right and help us to uh, be able to be a testimony for You that we would not bring reproach to the Christian name and to the, the things of the Lord. I pray that you'll bless the invitation. Use it as you would see fit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.